Newsday presents the Island Ice Podcast with Andrew Gross. And welcome to Island Ice, Newsday's New York Islanders podcast, episode 24. I am Andrew Gross. You can find me on Twitter at A Gross Newsday. And I am joined again on this episode. Uh, we haven't talked to him in a uh, probably a couple of months, but uh, my good friend Neil Best and uh, Neil, welcome back. I, I liked your open. It was sort of Chris Russo esque a little bit. Yeah, we're we're trying, we're trying not to point that out because I don't want to be sued by oh, Chris. No, I, think he'll, I think he'll be honored by you uh, emulating him. Um, so uh, Neil is joining me. We are in the uh, uh, Nassau Coliseum. The Islanders have just lost four nothing to. The Bruins, um, another tough loss as they go back-to-back against last season's two Stanley Cup finalists, losing 3-2 in overtime in St. Louis on Thursday as they give up a a 2-0 lead in the first period and give up a goal late in regulation, losing in overtime. And uh, today, uh, on Saturday, where the Bruins were just the better team start to finish. But today's, uh, the, the, the Bruins game was pretty much maybe the third most important thing, depending on uh, your point of view. A lot of news uh, going around the Coliseum, which is why we wanted to talk to uh, Neil. And we will start uh, with the event that Neil covered, which was Governor Andrew Cuomo's uh, announcement uh, that the Islanders will play all playoff games here at the Coliseum this season and all home games, regular season and postseason, before uh, they move into their new building at Belmont. And that was, uh, you know, confirming the story that Newsday's Randy Marshall had the exclusive that she broke. And, uh, Neil, you were in with the governor and uh, you were talking to the players after the game. Just what are your thoughts on the Islanders having one home arena? I thought you were going to say the big news was my speech at the Newsday Travel Expo, but okay, I, I'll, I'll, I'll wait, wait, let wait. you slide on that. No, it's okay. Governor Cuomo is fine. No, uh, obviously it's an imperfect situation to be playing here, but it is a less imperfect situation than the status quo. So I, I personally, I think, I think most fans, I know most players and coaches and general managers um, are happy about this because it's just a, a rational uh, short-term solution. I mean, you're asking the players to play in two different places and schlep to Brooklyn and practice on Long Island. The whole situation obviously has been extremely awkward uh, for everyone. So I think it's great. I, I have nothing against the borough of Brooklyn, or I actually think the Barclays Center is not that awful of a place to watch a game. I know you feel, uh, you know, you, you like it less than I do. But, um, but no, it's great. It's good. Great is great's not the great. Great is the word for the new arena. Hopefully, yeah. a good is the word for this short-term solution. Now, I, I remember when we were back at the Newsday Studios, we we discussed uh, the arena situation and what might happen going ahead. And I think, uh, if I remember, we were discussing that it, it just seemed logical for next season. Since, you know, uh, with the ownership uh, of Barclays no longer the same as the ownership management of Nassau Coliseum, it just made sense to us uh, that next season, at least, that there would just be one home arena and eventually they would move into Belmont. And then Gary Bettman speaks at the All-Star Game and, and, and repeats what his mantra of this is not a major league facility and kind of hinted or, or more than hinted that 
you know, NBC and the broadcasters, if, if it, this ever got deep into the playoffs, that it, it, it probably could not accommodate what their broadcast partners needed. So you were with Bettman at his press conference today. I think I'm getting that right. <laughs> what, what do you think changed? Well, first of all, according to Bettman, a lot of pressure or pers- perseverance, I think was the word he used, persistence yeah. from Governor Cuomo, uh, who, who really wanted this to happen. Um, look, I mean, you know, Bettman, yeah, he said if they ever went to a finals, they'd have to put up a tent in the parking lot for media workroom. They'd have to have a tent in the parking lot for hospitality. The TV people would figure it out. Yes, the, it would be a significant challenge in my opinion, not an insurmountable one because I have been in various sports in deep in the playoffs where you have an older building and it's not ideal. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know this is going back a ways, but I remember some night that when the Giants won the NFC Championship game at Candlestick Park, how nightmarish that was. But, you know, that you find a way. Yeah. And the, the governor clearly put a lot of pressure on Bettman. And Bettman was... Um, he, he didn't deny that there are problems here, challenges. But I think he finally was persuaded, like well, like I think we were, and most people were, that this was the least bad solution. And having forcing it, you know what, making a team go, you know, alternate arenas is one thing, but having to do it in the playoffs, I mean, come on, is that fair? Like, is that, that's just not fair. Right. Last year was silly, having a playoff series here and then a playoff series there. It's, it's not right. Right. And, and Barry Trotz, when I asked him this morning, basically said, you know, it's going to feel normal again for the Islanders because having two home rinks is not normal. This is the kind of stuff that we're used to reading like, well, you know, in 1942, they had to move the finals to Toronto because of the circus or whatever. Yeah, you know, yeah. that's the kind of thing that's out of the 40s and 50s or NBA teams having to move the finals because of a, some event. I mean, you know, that should not happen in 2020. And the Rangers, obviously... That was their story. They played many Stanley Cup final games in Toronto. Uh, yeah. I think the you know the '50 Cup they lost to the Red Wings. I believe they they had to play their home games in in Toronto because the elephants were <laughs> were stinking up the old garden. <laughs> but um, I mean, to, to me, if I'm Gary Bettman, and I don't speak for Gary Bettman, obviously, but it, if you're talking about what's more you know awkward or embarrassing for the league, I would rather. Have figure out a way to play a finals at at the Coliseum, then have what we had last year, where you have this team bouncing back and forth between arenas, and of course that means their fans have to do it as well. Yeah, no, obviously a lot of people say to me, well, you know, they were able to do you know four Stanley Cup, five Stanley Cups here from 1980 to 84, and and I point out television technology, broadcast technology, the the media's need for an updated facility from 1980 to 84 to present day. It's, I mean, you can say light years, but I don't even know if that does it justice as to how much has changed in that time in terms of technology. Well, yeah, that's true. And there's no, I don't want to sugarcoat it and say, hey, no big deal, figure out a way. I I know it's a challenge and Bettman is definitely worried about it and um, has been. But I think, again, he sort of threw in the towel and is like, I, I don't, I mean, the guy's from Long Island. I would like to think that, and he's an objective commissioner type. I would like to think he's not rooting against the Islanders if they make the playoffs. But maybe in the back of his head, he's thinking, yeah, maybe it'd be better if they're not in the finals. <laughs> so, I mean, and we were chatting about this earlier. I mean, as a result, there are only now three 
games remaining in Brooklyn at Barclays Center. One is Tuesday night against the Montreal Canadiens, and then they will uh, not closing that building since the Nets are still going to play there. They're still going to have great concerts there, boxing. Life goes on in Brooklyn just without the Islanders, but you were waxing a little sentimental about <laughs> no, it. <laughs> I think I was kidding. But, yeah, I think it's fair to say that unlike uh, the, the the nostalgic pieces we've been reading about Ebbets Field for the last 63 years, yeah, I guess right. it is, um, I, I, I'm, co- I'm fairly confident we will not have an entire you know genre of literature waxing poetic about the Islanders' times in Brooklyn. But that being said, when, when we're there on March 22nd, it is going to be kind of a weird, you know, it's, it is going to be the end of a chapter, even though it was kind of a strange chapter. Right. <laughs> you know, and I forget who I mentioned this to, but <laughs> I jokingly, and very jokingly, because I want it on the record that everyone tells me not only is Belmont Park on schedule to open for the 21-22 season in, in that October when they want it to open, but because of this mild winter, Things are, you know, they they're ahead of schedule. So yeah. I, I'm that I'm saying this right now. But I, I was I remember saying to someone, uh, you know, when I got to this building uh, this morning, you know, what is going to be the league's reaction if for whatever reason Belmont gets delayed? And now you know you can't go back to Brooklyn, right? So you know. Well, I mean, if there was a long delay, that would be a problem. But, you know, it's like Bettman made it very clear today that if that arena was not rising from the ground at Belmont, he would not have been okay with this temporary solution. His point was, okay, I can deal with this if I know there is an end point, and if it's one year, we're going to deal with it. And he said the governor worked hard to make it happen. Obviously, Lou Lamorello, Barry Trotz, the players wanted it. Most fans, not all. I mean, I'm sure there are avid Islanders fans who live down the block from the Barclays Center who will be inconvenienced. And there's no doubt the mass transit options for people who like taking the train are very convenient. But, you know, obviously the majority of fans prefer the Coliseum. And, yeah, uh, I, I think that's... And talking to the players after the game today as well. I mean, it was very clear that, you know, this is home to them and, you know, they all live around here. So, you know, basically, you know, this is kind of, you know, it it sounds a low entitled, but what they give up in Brooklyn is some nap time, you know, because of the commute. And NHL players have to get their game day naps in. Kyle Quarterbuck's told, yeah, he said, well, you know, this this gets us two hours of our lives back basically every day. I've actually thought about how, just strictly for convenience purposes, the new arena is less convenient than this one. We're, we're what, a mile or two from the practice facility? Yeah. So the new arena is going to be a little bit of a schlep, not as much as Brooklyn, but it's not as convenient as the Coliseum. Right, and now you're dealing with the Cross Island Parkway. Yeah, there'll be issues. Yeah, I mean, it's not going to be logistically perfect, but, yeah, it's better than going to Brooklyn because you can drive there easily. That's the whole point. Yeah, yeah. No, I think we're all agreeing. As we stand out, we're looking at Butch Goring's number 91, and Neil and I will discuss that in a minute. But I wanted to ask you, um, you, you mentioned that obviously, you know, the playoff situation last last season was kind of, uh, you know, all screwed up. You know, first round here, and they sweep the Penguins, and then a second round, you know, in Brooklyn, and they get swept by the Hurricanes, so they lose their two home games in Brooklyn. 
So now you know you're going to play up to four playoff rounds in Nassau Coliseum this season. Whatever happens next season, you have to ask, are there going to be playoffs here this season? Yeah, that's becoming an increasingly fair question. I mean, I still say I think they're going to make it, but today... You know they were they had a very poor performance against Boston. I know they're the best team in the league, uh, but they continue to have trouble scoring, which has been an ongoing story, of course. Um, so yeah, I mean if the Islanders, well Islanders fans are concerned, <laughs> the Islanders themselves presumably should be growing a little concerned. Um, you know, obviously it's such a close race, it's hard to say. But when you look at, it's a very close race, but there's not that many teams in that group that are not going to make it. So I, I do think they'll find a way, but mm-hmm. obviously obviously I could be wrong. Um, but the way things are going lately, it's, yeah, that point streak from the fall seems a long time ago right now. Yeah, a long time ago and the way they played during that streak. And basically it really seems like everyone in the NHL has improved and the Islanders at best have treaded water, if not regressed a little bit in you know their defensive structure and certainly – you know, they, they were never going to be a team that scored four or five goals on a regular basis. But their, their lack of consistent offensive production at crucial times is, has been glaring and was certainly glaring, you know, in that loss at St. Louis when they could not build on a 2 nothing lead. And certainly today as they could not generate much or any second chance second chance opportunities and go 0 for 6 with just seven shots on the power play against the Bruins. Now that we've gotten a chance to see Peugeot a few games, he's obviously a player that can help and he's he's ever he's what he was advertised to be. He's a gritty all-around player and he's a nice guy to have on your team and that's great. But every time I watch the other New York team play and see number ten. Yeah. Uh, he's number ten, right? Yeah. yeah every yeah. time I see number no, every time I see number ten, I'm like, okay, now that is a game-changing offensive force. And you know, the Islanders do not have that. Matt Barzell's their most dynamic offensive player. He's mostly a, a playmaker, yeah. as opposed to a scorer, obviously. So yeah, I mean. Pajot is not Artemi Panarin, okay? Which no. I, I know that's obvious, but that's that's what this team needs, and I know it's easier said than done. Right. But whenever I see him play, I'm like, oh my god! If you put that guy in the Islanders, that that that. Oh, but well, I'm dreaming here, but yeah. that's not going to happen for that. Well, I mean, dreaming to a certain extent, well, except it almost it, it almost happened. No, Lou Lou went went hard after him, offered him more money. And, you know, I I know uh, Panarin spoke about, you know, always wanting to be on Broadway, but, you know, I I have heard that it was, I'm holding my thumb and my forefinger very, very close together, that 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 almost got nailed down and it sort of got derailed last minute, and that's how Panarin winds up with the Rangers. I don't deny that I have a major hockey man crush on Artemi Panarin. I just I think he's fantastic, and yeah, it would have been interesting to see that happen, but whatever, he's at the Rangers, and now the Rangers are an interesting team, and as an objective journalist type who's not a beat writer, like yeah. you know you and Colin are. Oh, well, we're uh, still objective. No, 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 I, no I, didn't mean, I didn't mean it that way. I didn't mean you're not objective. I meant, but, but I have the opportunity to you know sort of take a step back and look at the two teams you know, kind of equally, yeah. and, uh, you know, he's just fun to watch, period. Yes, he he is indeed. Um, 
your observations seeing the Islanders and you're going to see a bunch more of the Islanders as we get down the stretch, this playoff push, you know, under 20 games to go. I, I expect uh, you and me to be, you know, uh, tag teaming on a lot of these games. What, 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 what's, what was your impression of what is uh, be, beyond the fact that they don't have Artemi Panarin? <laughs> You know, what was your impression of why they seem to struggle in the offensive zone? I don't. I, well, I don't know. I mean, they just—it's—it's uh, it's what we've. Look, I mean, they have enough good players to win games because they won a lot of games. They still have a good record, yeah. and they have a lot. The, the 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 good thing should be their versatility because they have so many different players who can step up if one guy's struggling or hurt or whatever. So I like their array of weapons, but you know, Barry Trotz was talking. After the game, about he and he's, I, I admire his openness when he talks about some guys just not doing what they have to do. Of course, he doesn't say their names, but, yeah. but he still at least he references that he's not happy with some of his guys. And I, I don't, I don't know, I, I don't know the answer to that other than they need finishers. They need, or well, they have finished. They have people capable of being finishers, right? And they have to do that when Anders Lee sets up in front of the goal and. You know that's his game, mm-hmm. and that's great. And but he just has to, you know, somehow the other guys have to get the puck near him so he can do his thing. And Matt Barzell is, as you know, we've talked about, is an extremely dynamic, talented player who's great at setting people up, and also occasionally yeah. uh, loses the puck. Occasionally. Um, so yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, look, I, I I'm cautiously optimistic for terms from the Islanders fan perspective that this is is going to be fine yeah and they have a great coach that can help the process and their goaltending's still pretty good i mean it's been a little less consistent lately but um mm. yeah but in terms of the x's and o's question you asked me i have no idea <laughs> <laughs> yeah kind of you know <laughs> Semyon varlamov played against the bruins thomas grace was against the uh the uh, the Blues, and again, you know, they're down two nothing quickly on Saturday. Kind of two fluky goals. One Varley gets knocked over by Patrice Bergeron, but they can't challenge for goalie interference because really Andy Green trips uh, Patrice into Varley, and Varley's way out of position. David Pasternak has a wide open shot, and he never misses. And then you know, second shot, you know. Johnny Boychuk is off in space in between the face-off circles, and a shot from the left point goes, like, off his leg and just kind of fluky goals. I mean, even though I'm a huge hockey fan as my whole life, and now I cover a lot of it, um, and I defend hockey against its detractors, I do not deny when people accuse hockey of being a little too random. Um, That's just a fact. Uh, However, watching the Bruins, I've seen the Bruins, I think, four times now against the Islanders and the Rangers, and they are so good that there's no randomness to what they're doing. They're just so clearly, even if you're not a hockey expert, mm-hmm. just so good <laughs> that that um, the occasional fluky goal, it certainly was the case today, the occasional fluky goal is, is earned uh, because they're so good. A couple of positives in a 4 nothing loss uh, to the Bruins uh, is that it was Cal Clutterbuck's first game back and again, he, he had been slashed by Bergeron's skate blade 
uh, December 19th at Boston, went in for tendon surgery uh, the next day and has been out ever since. He returns uh, against the Bruins, ironically, on Saturday, plays, a, a, I thought, a solid 10 minutes as he tries to uh, reacclimate himself. Um, and also Andy Green, the defenseman that was Lou's other big trade in addition to uh, Jean-Gabriel Pajot from the Senators, Lou bringing uh, you know, his old buddy Andy Green back from the Devils to kind of shore up the hole left by Adam Pellick. Uh, Adam Pellick's season-ending Achilles uh, injury. Andy Green misses one game. He, he really, if you saw the play, it really looked like his shoulder or left arm or something was really screwed up uh, in that 4-3 overtime loss, early in that 4-3 overtime loss to the Rangers. On Tuesday, Andy only winds up missing the one game, and he's back paired with Ryan Pulak. And then uh, the, the, the next piece that needs to come back for the Islanders is Casey Sezikis, uh, who slots so perfectly in between Cal Clutterbuck, now that Cal's back, and Matty Martin, who was back in the lineup after being a healthy scratch Thursday uh, in St. Louis. Casey Sezikis, uh, Barry Trotz has reported, is not skating yet, but the quote on that is Casey will be resuming skating soon, and I'm, I'm assuming that will mean Casey skates on his own for a little bit, just as Cal Clutterbuck did, as he prepared to come back, and then eventually Casey gets reintegrated into a couple of practices, although the Islanders very rarely practice these days because of the uh, intensely tight schedule, but eventually they will work Casey Sezikis back, and uh, maybe even before that last game in uh, in Brooklyn, and and I mentioned at the, uh, the top of the show that this was a very, very busy day at the Coliseum. Of course, the third element, uh, in addition to the game and uh, Governor Cuomo and Gary Bettman being here, was watching Butch Goring's number 91 ascend to the uh, the banners, and that and he's up there now. That's uh, you know eight, eight players there. A, a great day for Butch. And, you know, you've been around Butch for years. You know, he's in the media. He's a broadcaster. You know, what were your thoughts watching Butch's speech and uh, the way, you know, Barry reacts to him and players react to him and Butch reacts to everyone? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, I thought it was great and it obviously felt good for Butch. Uh, You know, it's interesting. He... You know, obviously the connection between him and the fans is more uh, immediate than a lot of these guys because they literally hear him every single game. So mm. he's not as much of sort of a distant face from the past because, you know, like, John Tonelli hadn't been around that much. Butchie is someone yeah. everyone knows, including the fans. Um, so it was almost actually helpful to have the reminder of, oh, wait a minute, this guy was a great player on a great team as opposed to, oh, he's this old guy who's an a- analyst, you know, which right. younger fans might think of him first for that. So it's, it was sort of educational to be reminded how important of a player he was. And, no, it felt really good for him. The only thing is, well, were you you were the one with the idea of putting all 16 of these guys on one banner. Well, Because I, I, we're getting to the point where they all deserve – it's not that none of them deserve this honor, but – all I would say is, first of all, I like your idea of putting all 16 names on a banner. Mike Bossy also okay, was, Mike was involved okay, in the, the so, germ of that idea. Okay, Mike Bossy too will give him credit. Uh, but the only other thing I would I would say is it would be nice for them to find a way to honor... Who is the Islanders' best player of the non-cup era? Is, I don't know, is it LaFontaine? Is it Tavares? Like, who is it? 
Yeah, those those are two that so, you know. So, yeah, so, I, okay, I, so it's not I, gonna be <laughs> I know some people say Ziggy Palfi and but okay. but he didn't play uh, here long enough to really be Okay, so but let's say let's say Lafontaine, because yeah. it's not gonna be John Tavares. Uh, it would be nice to find uh, actually I got a, a I mean I know he was on the cup teams, but uh, you know Brent Sutter is also up there. I'm, I'm just I'm yeah. just saying, I'm just saying, just just on principle, yeah. it would be nice to find a way to honor obviously someone who's deserving, yeah. who was not on the cup teams, just yeah. just to show that, you know, obviously that those are the benchmark of Islanders teams. We all know that. Yeah. Um. But but to show, you know, there have been other good players and other good teams, and maybe younger fans don't remember these guys like we do. Right. Um. I do. Well, you'll be younger than me. Yeah. Uh, you'll remember. No, you're old enough to remember those teams. I'm catching uh, up. Yeah, no, you you know those. But, the, you know, it's, again, I'm not disparaging yeah. any of these guys. They all deserve it. I just would like to see them expand the generation just a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I know the the Rangers, you know, sort of had that issue. Not that they have, you know, recent retirees, you know, like, you know, Harry Howell, you know, go or Andy Bathgate. And, <laughs> yeah. you know, and, and people who know hockey go, those were fantastic players. Right. But many people go, who? You know? You know what? It's it's kind of like I, I started noticing about 10 years ago how at Yankees Old Timers Day, the late 70s guys started getting the plight applause that the guys from the 50s used to get. And yeah. the guys from the late 90s are the ones who get all the applause now because they're that's nostalgic for a larger group of people. And the guys from the late 70s, who were when I was a teenager, yeah. are now old. Yeah. And the guys from the 50s are mostly not with us. So, yeah, I mean, it's nice to involve, I don't know. Is Paolo Fontaine, is, he, is that a legitimate Well, I, 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 one of my Sunday insiders, Islander insiders, is I wrote about Bob Bourne, who, who I think, you know, certainly he could be retired, and also Patty LaFontaine. And I, I, I got a lot of pushback from Islander fans on Pat LaFontaine just because of the way it ended uh, with with him, you know, and the organization. But, you know, and one thing Butch did mention in a speech and John Tonelli mentioned last week and, and sort of all the alumni have mentioned recently is how the, the ownership here, the ownership group, John Ledecky, Scott Malkin, has, has really worked to reestablish ties with, with with some of the the alumni, and I think that's a very good sign. So you know, yeah. I, I know it's been maybe a little rocky here and there with Pat Lafontaine and the organization, but you know, th- this ownership, I, I, I'm hearing that you know things are good there. It's very genuine how much these guys praise this owners for bringing them back in the fold. I was at an NHL Network shoot with um, Tonelli and Nystrom the other day, recreating their <laughs> goal from 1980. That will be on in May. Um, but both both of them were just talking, you know, gushing about how much it means to all these guys that they've been, you know, aggressively welcomed back into the family, which is, you know, which is great. Um, but, you know, it's still 40 years ago. So um, some, you know, who knows, uh, you know, 20 years from now, it might be. I don't know, Pajot, who knows? Well, it, it might be, if you listen to John Tonelli, it might be Anders Lee because... Oh, that's fine too. Yeah, yeah <laughs> no, during his speech, John Tonelli turned to Anders Lee and said, we are sharing this number and you know, oh, yeah, yeah. with the hope of yeah. it being up there. But, uh, you know, re- retired numbers are... It's almost like there's no right answer. You either Some people think a team doesn't have enough, and then when you start doing it, oh, a team has too many of them. And you know what? Again, like the Islanders have eight up right now. Denny Potvin, Clark Gillies, Brian Trottier, Mike Bossy, Bobby Nystrom, John Tonelli, Billy Smith, 
who I introduced myself to today, which was fantastic. And everyone knows I was a huge Billy Smith fan growing up, so it was well, kind of nice to shake his hand. And, I, and and now Butchie Goring. I met Bill Smith in the summer of 1980 when I was working as a camp counselor, and his son was in the camp, and he came by to pick his kid up. Um, so uh, we were both younger then. He looked <laughs> old, he's, he's gotten older in the last 40 years. I don't know what happened, because I look exactly the same. <laughs> The, the point being, there are eight banners a, up there. That was a detour. <laughs> <laughs> there are eight banners now. Um, again, and, and, and as you mentioned uh, on a, on the podcast I did with Mike Bossy, we discussed the fact that there are 16 players who who played for all Stan, four Stanley Cups, which I guarantee you, not only will there never be another team that wins four straight Stanley Cups, but there might never be another team that has 16 players that, stay with it for four straight that, years. That is the most insane. I mean, obviously, four cups and rows of insane stat. Yeah. But that is actually the more insane <laughs> stat that they had 16, gu- 16 guys yeah. in this era in any sport is impossible. Like, yeah. because after the first cup, their third best player would have been picked off. And after the second cup, their fourth best player would have been picked off. And they got to give all their money to Bossy and Trottier and Gillies. <laughs> Everybody else will leave. Yeah. So um, that, that when I first heard that number, uh, 16, I was like, wait a minute, there's only like 20 guys dressing. So how the hell? You know, yeah. that's amazing. Yeah. No, no, there's, I mean, there's a lot that was amazing in, uh, you know, from that group, that era. And, and I guess you could debate whether it's crazier that there were 16 players who played for all four, you know, all four cup winners, or that the team won uh, 19 straight playoff series. I mean, that's incomprehensible today. Yeah, I mean, it would be less incomprehensible in basketball because, as we discussed earlier, hockey is a more random sport. Yeah. Um, So I think the fact it happened in hockey or baseball is unfathomable to me today. In basketball. In theory, a team like the Warriors could have done that. Yeah. You know, because they were together with three years or whatever. But, um, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. Did you have a a favorite Butch Goring moment today? Um, Well, I liked him calling out Clutterbuck on the the bench. That was kind of cool, and and Cal appreciated that. Yeah. Um, And, yeah, it was, you know, it was very endearing. He went down the list to each guy, and then the guys who weren't here, he started going down the list to them and telling them. (laughs) I mean, it took a while, uh, but, you know, the guy deserves his moment in the spotlight, and it was a day game, so nobody should have been in a rush to go anywhere. Yeah. Then the game started, and the Islanders looked like they were still on yeah. the bench watching the ceremony. Yeah. Um, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was uh, originally supposed to be puck drop at 1.08 p.m. on a Saturday, and the puck dropped, I believe, closer to 1.39 p.m. And, and you've heard Butch on the air. You know he can talk. You know he's got stories. Um, I was lucky enough to sit down with Butch in uh in st louis uh as we watched the morning skate and uh just talking about his career and what you know his thoughts on having his number retired and uh so here here's my chat with butch goring who just had his 91 retired and uh congratulations and before we get to that i just want to sign out my friend neil best and thank him for being a guest and say i'm sure we will talk again soon I'm going to start working on my poetic farewell to the Barclays Center. i got three weeks to work on this thing. Looking forward to that. And now I hope you look forward to this, which is Butch Goring. And, of course, 
Butch Goring gets his 91 lifted to the rafters, or by the time you hear this, he will have had his 91 lifted to the rafters. And uh, one of the privileges of this job is having gotten to know you as a friend in addition to having watched your career. So let me just say congratulations, and I know how special this is for you. Well, well, thank you very much. Uh, yeah, yeah, it is It is special. It's. Uh, I've been waiting for this uh, day to approach or get there on the 29th with great anticipation and uh, everybody keeps asking me how I'm going to feel. I don't know. <laughs> I'll have to wait and see, but I, but I know that uh, I'm extremely honored to, um, to be able to uh, have my number, my retired more than anything else. That, that to me is just crazy. I, I'm sure you'll be thinking of a lot of things, but can you kind of express what, what family meant, you know, the, the people who got you to this point? Well, there's, you know, they're, they're my family, certainly my, my mom and my dad played a huge role in, in my upbringing and, and the, um, obviously the support of, uh, you know, of my wife and, and my kids and, and my brothers and sisters. I mean, they all played a part and they all made it a whole lot easier uh, for me and, and my teammates. I mean, I'm, I'm, this event's not happening without, without my teammates and uh, they played a huge part in this. I mean, when you win four Stanley Cups and, and uh, you have as much success as, uh, as we have as a group. Um, you know, fortunately, uh, everybody should probably be honored, but that doesn't work that way. And, and so uh, it's going to be my, it's my luck of the draw, but, but, I, but without their support and their help, you know, none of this happens. What were you? What were your emotions as you were watching John Tonelli's twenty-seven go up? Excited for him, really, really excited. I, I actually, uh, I had the hair standing up on the back of my neck and and uh, watching John and and do his thing and and automatically you think about you know the games back in the eighties, the Stanley Cups. You think about the goals that he scored, the way he played, and, and so it, it was really excited for me. I was so happy for him. I mean. Uh, People uh, have no idea what his contribution is. I mean, uh, you, you just don't win the Stanley Cups with just a couple of players. and it, it, Everybody has to play their part, and uh, John played a, a very important part. Everyone talks about how you were the final piece. I remember talking to Kenny Morrow. He's, he came in just a couple of weeks after you, so two, two huge additions to that group. But can you remember what you were thinking as you joined the group? Obviously, you know, I don't know if you go in going, yeah, I am the final piece here, you know, but what's your attitude as you join that group? Well, I, I, you know what? 1978-1979, they suffered a couple of tough losses. But that was a really good hockey team, and they could have easily have won Stanley mm-hmm. Cup. So, hey, listen, I wasn't coming in there and, and, and becoming a superstar. I mean, they already had enough superstars. I was coming in there to do what I could do. Bill Torrey, Al Arbor, they knew exactly what kind of a player they were getting, and that's why they wanted me, because they knew and expected me to play for the reasons of, that they grabbed me. So um, I, I, I just walked in there and, and um, I was comfortable with, with uh, who I am. I had Billy Smith and John Potvin, who were right. former teammates in Springfield. And that was a quiet dressing room anyway. So I just went about my business. But I, I never felt pressure to, to do anything different. I I just knew that um, I just had to play my game. And I, I knew my game in my own mind could help them. But... Uh, they were a great team, so they didn't need a whole lot of help. They, they maybe just you know, needed to get a little confidence in, in themselves more than anything else. Mm-hmm. And going 8-0-4 probably did that. You know, I, I don't know if I've ever asked you this. Obviously, you come to the Islanders, you're not wearing 91 at first. And 
in those days, like now, you look out and everyone's got a number, you know, 60 and higher, right? Yeah. But in those days, 91 was not a common number. Can you just kind of take us how, how you came to be number 91? Well, as, as most people know, the first first cup I wore number 21 just because I didn't want to make a big deal out of any number situation. And, uh, uh, and contrary to what people think, uh, you know, I, I didn't wear 91 because 19 was taken. Yeah. I wore 91 because that was my childhood idol as a kid growing up in Winnipeg. I, I was a huge Edmonton Eskimo fan, which was in the CFL. Mm-hmm. The fellow's name was Jackie Parker. And uh, growing up in Winnipeg, it was tough to be an Eskimo fan because the Blue Bombers existed there. But uh, I love Jackie Parker. I love the way he played, and, and so I always wanted to wear 91. But it wasn't the fashion back in the in the in the 50s or the 60s or the 70s. And, yes. and uh, so when I had the opportunity to, in my second go with the Islanders, uh, I took 91. And, and uh, you know Gretzky was already there, 99. Espo was wearing 77. So nobody balked at it. Right. And uh, so I was happy. And um, so for me, um, you know, the, I, I got everything done in, in a very short period of time. Went in the Stanley Cup and wearing the number I've always wanted to wear. Was it always hockey? I mean, you, you talk about being a CFL fan. What, what else did you play, and, and how strong was the push to hockey for you? Well, I, I, I played all the sports growing up as a, as a kid, but uh, my dad, you know, was a hockey player, a semi-pro hockey player, and and uh, I don't know, just just hockey was the, the sport for me. It was I was never, you know... Never took baseball serious enough, although I was an okay player, and, and mm-hmm. same with football. Uh, um, but uh, that's, you know, I wasn't very, you know, I never thought about being a football player. I wasn't really big enough. But uh, I just hockey was always foremost and uh, on my mind. And, you know, watching Gordie Howe with the Detroit Red Rings, uh, you know, I, that's that's who I wanted to be when I, when, I, when I got to the NHL. I wanted to be Gordie Howe. Well, I couldn't do that. First off, I didn't shoot right-handed. Secondly, I didn't fight. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, I, that wasn't going to happen. But I always wanted to be a, a, a hockey player. I was, I, I was, I was good, and, and and so I think that helped me along my way. You mentioned that you, you know, you're obviously not big enough to be a, a, a football player. You know, I mean, you're not a small man by any imagination. But there were bigger players in the NHL, and it was more of a rough and tumble league back then. How did you? navigate <laughs> <laughs> well I could skate really well and, yeah. and uh, it didn't take me long to figure out how to you know put myself in good spots and yeah. and I had people along the way uh, help, help me out with that as to how, how to survive in the NHL and and that that's one of the ways I mean I I had a lot of injuries in my first four or five years of, uh, of playing in the National Hockey League so um, you know you you have to grin and bear it at different times but um, you know like I said I, I my biggest asset is I, I was pretty quick and 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 uh, you learn in a hurry, you know, where you need to go and where you should stay away from. How much of a culture shock was it going from Los Angeles to Long Island? And, you know, you, you've had a lot of stops in hockey. Did you ever think Long Island was going to be the, 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 the long-term home? No, actually, I, I wasn't sure where I was going to end up. You know, I, I mean, I was fortunate, uh, you know, to be eleven, pretty much eleven years in LA, and and I thought that was pretty much the norm, right? You just stay where you are, and, and then to the, come to the island and, and spend really five years there. Uh, I mean, I really enjoyed my, my 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 time in Long Island. I mean, the people were great, and and uh, I lived in a really nice house, a really nice area, and and we had a lot of success. And uh, and then all of a sudden, reality hit me. You know, uh, that you can get moved and all of a sudden I should have I should buy a trailer because I got out of I got out of hockey into coaching and and 
that's a whole lot more difficult than than being a player. So I wasn't sure where I was going to end up, but for whatever reason, it, I, I kept coming back to the island. I, you know, I stayed with the island organization where I was, you know, and, uh, coaching the minor league, their minor league team for for a number of years, and it, it just seemed that every time I I drifted away, I'd end up back here on on the island. So um, I've made it my home. I I, I I I enjoy it. I'm I'm back working and not with the Islanders, but I'm part of covering the Islanders, obviously. So um, I enjoy it. I love it. I have a great home again. I've met a lot of new people, you know, and uh, and great friends. And, and for whatever reason, it just seems to keep bringing me back. Yeah. You, you told me this story once, but you almost didn't wind up with the Islanders because you almost didn't wind up back with the Kings. Do you... You know, you 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 almost wound up following Rogi Vashon to the uh, the Red Wings, I believe, right? Did you ever think about how close it came to to not coming around? Well, well, two things happened when I uh, when I was uh, a restricted free agent. Let's get the right terminology because uh, there was compensation in those yeah. days. Uh, Red Wings are my team. They always were my team, and and I was disappointed I wasn't drafted by the Red Wings, and I wanted to play for the Red Wings, and I had conversations with the Red Wings about coming there, and and they decided to take Rogi Vashon instead of me and and so you know that kind of ended that but I came a lot closer to signing with the Edmonton Oilers Mm -hmm. who at that time were in the WHA and and uh, had long talks had contract offers on the table and uh, gave LA one last chance to sign me and we know what happened there but uh, I was almost playing with Wayne Gretzky and Messier and all of them and uh, you know who's to know uh, what would have happened there I mean we know about their success later on and and uh, but uh, yeah I mean uh, but uh, history has a funny way of you know uh, straightening things out and 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 I'm happy for you know the way my life turned out because good things happened to me when I went to the island. Well, listen, Butch, great honor for you, well-deserved, and I know you're going to enjoy the heck out of the day, and congratulations. And a second honor, you were were the first repeat guest on the Island Ice podcast, (laughs) so thank you so much for all the time, and again, I just couldn't be happier for you. Thank you, I really appreciate it. And congratulations again to Butch Goring, well-deserved, 91 in the rafters at... uh, at the Coliseum, uh, probably should have been up there a while back, uh, but we kind of know why uh, Goring's 91 did not ascend uh, <laughs> until now, um, but glad that got worked out, and uh, congratulations again, Butch. Like I said, it's been a, a pleasure getting to know him more uh, on the Islanders beat, always a fun guy to, to be around, and, and also uh, a, a good guy to chat with uh, seriously about hockey issues, uh, a guy who really knows the sport. I mean, it's been literally his whole life um, as a player, coach, executive, broadcaster, seen, done it all. And uh, like I said, it's it's one of my favorite or some of my favorite moments on the Islanders beat is just standing there with Butch watching a, a morning skate or a practice and, and just listening to him talk about the sport and talk about what's going on and what the team is doing. And, uh, you know, it, I, it, it's always a good lesson uh, from Butch. And uh, I appreciate all the time. And, uh, you know, again, congratulations. It was, it was funny trying to get that interview done with Butch. I mean, it was like a take a number and, you know, wait your turn type of deal with Butch at that morning skate out in St. Louis. Uh, Chris King grabbed him for uh, the Islanders radio broadcast and, and Kinger had him for a long time and then uh you know I did something with him and then uh St. Louis radio uh 
you know, also wanted him. So they're kind of standing, waiting for me to be finished with Butch. So Butch was uh, well talked out even before he uh, got up and uh, gave that kind of lengthy, but, you know, <laughs> really cool uh, acceptance speech, if you will. So, uh, you know, uh, moving on from that, um, you guys have questions, so I have some answers. It's time for your questions with Andrew's Answers. And uh, we'll start, and uh, I will say that when I announce this guy's uh, uh, Twitter handle, this is not me doing political commentary. This is just me reading someone's Twitter name. But we'll start with anybody but lying Trump 2020 says, why wasn't the Dumpusium knocked down 20 years ago like it should have been. It's a dump, 40-minute bathroom wait, way too small, fire hazard, sardine field and concourse, leaky roof, asbestos, crazy traffic, $18 beer, which, by the way, what do you think the beer is going to cost at Belmont or cost at Yankee Stadium? I mean, $18 beer is not endemic to Nassau Coliseum. Um, ridiculous, expensive parking, empty seats, middle of nowhere. For for the the anger and humor in some of those uh, comments, there are there there are some truths there. Uh, it can be very long bathroom waits. I've been told I'm lucky enough, uh, you know, to have kind of a a bathroom upstairs in the press uh, area where I don't have to wait forty minutes with everyone. But uh, you know, I feel your pain there. Um, it is very small. It's the smallest in the NHL. Um, you know, the bonus there is you're right on top of the ice. Um, I'm not a fire inspector. I, I cannot speak to it being a fire hazard. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty certain it meets all Nassau County fire standards. Otherwise, they would not be able to open the doors. Uh, there can be a sardine feel like in the concourse. I definitely feel that when I try and make my way, uh, you know, my, my route from the upstairs press box to the downstairs dressing rooms after the game takes me through the concourse. And I, I can't tell you how many people I've had to apologize to for, you know, almost knocking them over as I, I just try and navigate, you know, basically, you know, 15 feet across the uh, the concourse to get to the ramp I need to get to. It it, it does have a sardine uh, feel to it. Um, yes, the uh, there there have been asbestos stories. I am I'm sure that uh, some of that has been cleaned up. Um, traffic can be bad. My wife can attest to that. We've talked about the $18 beer. That's, you know, any sporting event you go to, you're going to pay a lot for beer. Um, the parking, uh, I don't know... You know, I, I know when you go park at Madison Square Garden, uh, I mean, when, when I left that beat, they were hitting me up, I think, for 45 bucks a game. Um, and I think it's the same at the Barclays Center. If you park in that one area it, uh, under the uh, shopping market, that's, I believe, 45 bucks as well. So, uh, you know, expensive parking just comes with any any arena. Uh, there have been empty seats, although uh, the last four games there all... Capacity thirteen nine one seven, um, middle of nowhere. I would um I would dispute that. It's in Nassau County, and it's uh that's where a lot of people live. And uh, you know the, the fact that it's in the middle of a parking lot uh, is kind of part of the atmosphere there. Uh, if you get my drift with the tailgating there, so uh, you know I would agree on some of these points, not agree on uh, on others. Um, 
I find that the Coliseum has charm. I love watching games there. I know the players love playing there. It is not a modern NHL arena. That is the reason why it cannot be a long-term solution for the Islanders and could not be a long-term solution when they moved to Brooklyn in 2015. And as to why it wasn't knocked down 20 years ago like it should have been, well, I mean, you could do a whole you know, 30 for 30 on ESPN about, you know, the Lighthouse Project and the Islanders and Charles Wong's efforts to get a new building or to build at the Coliseum site a a whole, you know, uh, project there. Um, The politics that got involved, uh, why it was not approved. But, you know, yeah, the, the, the premise of this is there should have been a new arena, probably on the Nassau Coliseum site, if not 20 years ago, then, you know, at least maybe 15, 10 to 15 years ago, the Islanders should have, should have had a new building on that site. It didn't happen. It led to the, I think what we could call is uh, the Brooklyn fiasco, um, which is now uh, almost at an end, only three games left at Barclays Center. But and, and and it also led to the new arena at Belmont. Um, and, you know, I, I think there's going to be a lot of positives at Belmont. Uh, I think there are going to be some things at Belmont that people don't like, as Neil Best mentioned in the opening segment. Uh, you know, traffic probably is going to be a little worse getting to that arena than it is to the Coliseum, uh, which is why the LIRR stop at Belmont was so crucial to that project. And, and I'm sure... Uh, all all officials, uh, you know, and certainly a lot of the residents in that neighborhood are, are just praying that Islander fans, you know, take the bait and, and rely on LIRR more than driving to Belmont. A crazy gadget says, when will this team catch up to the other 30 in the league and start playing some skilled young players instead of rolling three fourth lines? And you know, uh, I, I don't know if you want to call the Brock Nelson, Anthony Beauvillier, uh, take your pick on right wing on that line, a, a fourth line. Um, but I, I do agree with the premise that, you know, the team may be a little top heavy and bottom six forwards, uh, if you will. Um, and I think a lot of this is going to be reliant in terms of when Oliver Wallstrom and, and or Kiefer Bellows uh, and or Simon Holmstrom can can crack this lineup because uh, you're looking for young, fast, skilled scoring wings. And that's the promise that those three hold. Um, and it's, you know, when will this team catch up to the other 30 in the league? Well, when will those three crack the lineup for good? And I, I think that's your answer there. Um, speaking of cracking the lineup, potato tomato, or is that pronounced potato tomato? I am not sure. Um, asks, how does Lad not crack this lineup? And uh, you know, at some point, I think Andrew Lad is going to get a game. You know, Barry Trotz really does like his veteran experience. Um, I think Andrew Ladd gets a shot over Tommy Kuhnhockel at this point, or probably over Ross Johnson uh, at this point. But, you know, uh, if he goes in, is it for Michael Dalcal? You know, is it for Leo Komarov? Um, those probably would be the two candidates, you know. So it, it's just a matter of, uh, you know, Barry always likes to talk about situational matchups and, 
and that type of stuff. And uh, I, I do think Andrew Ladd will get, you know, a, a game, if not a, a string of games, before this is all over. When that happens, not sure. Um, again, you know, we're also waiting for Casey Sezikis to come back uh, for that final piece on that fourth line, as you talk about fourth liners. Um uh, Greg Rizzardo says, Jim Hiller's power play is virtually identical to last year's. Offense needs the top six to step up. What do you think can be done for the squad, and do you think the season is in trouble if they continue to play like this? Uh, also, the Islanders embarrassed, embarrassed themselves today, meaning the 4 nothing loss to the Bruins. Um, yeah, if the Islanders... You know, what are, what are they? 3-5-2 and two over 10, and that's not good enough to make the playoffs. It's just not. Um, what do I think can be done for the squad? And, and, and if you talk about the power play being virtually identical to last year's, well, it's almost the same personnel as last year. So you can switch out your coaches as much as you want. If the personnel stays the same, there, there's a, a fairly decent chance that you know, uh, the power play is going to remain at the same level of uh, efficiency. Uh, but the problem is, and this is the bigger picture of the team, is that they don't have enough finishers. Um, and again, that's, you're really hoping Oliver Wallstrom becomes an NHL finisher. You're really hoping Kiefer Bellows becomes an NHL finisher. Um, Simon Holmstrom, you know, his game is predicated more on his skating. He might be more in the, uh, you know, the playmaking category than as a finisher. But still, you're hoping for that that production uh, down the line from from Simon Holmstrom. Um, you know, getting J.G. Peugeot, I, I thought, was a good good deal uh, in terms of trying to get the power play better. And, you know, Barry Trotz is using Peugeot in all spots. He's used him on the penalty kill, and he got him right onto the power play, and he scores a power play goal. And the thing I like about Peugeot, one of the things I like about Peugeot, because, uh, you know, the three games I've seen with him with the Islanders, I, I just think he does a lot of the little things correctly. I think he's got a great attitude for the game. I, I've never seen his legs stop moving. I, I, he's just a, you know, just a little spark plug out there. And he, and he plays, you know, Barry Trotz often talks about guys having to have joy in their game. He talks a lot about that with Anthony Beauvillier when Bo goes through scoring droughts. And then when he starts scoring again, there's that joy in his game. What I've seen with Peugeot is there is just that natural exuberance, that that natural joy, and, and I think that's uh, you know that that rubs off on his teammates as well. Um, so again, uh, you know, I think Peugeot is going to be a pretty nice piece on the power play, and hopefully that can make the power play a little more effective going forward. Old school Mountie says asks, it's great that Butch had his number ninety one raised to the rafters. Correct. Uh, it's phenomenal news that the Islanders' Barclays divorce is finalized. Correct. Uh, no question today being the 4 nothing. Uh, no question today, just a profound... Oh, I see what he's saying. I thought he was saying no question today, that. No, what he's saying is he has no question today. Uh, sorry, sorry for fumbling that. Uh, he just has a profound sense of disappointment in this season. Can they squeak into the playoffs? Uh, which I believe is a question. 
Uh, no, no, maybe not, because he answers it, saying maybe, but their flaws are too many. And uh, Old School Mountie, thanks for being so loyal, and I will not screw your next question uh, slash comment up like I just did that one. But he's profoundly disappointed in this season. I, I wouldn't go profoundly, uh, only in the sense that maybe after that 15-0-2 run, you're, you're thinking that this is a legitimate Stanley Cup contender. And, you know, uh, they're, they're certainly not amongst the top teams in the NHL right now. But if you get into the playoffs and you get hot goaltending, uh, you know you know the deal. Anything can happen. And you certainly have a coaching staff that knows how to guide a team through the playoffs. But I, I would agree that right now that you're, you're not – probably looking at play into June unless they uh, improve dramatically over the final 20 or so games. Uh, this is a flawed team right now, specifically in their uh, lack of finishing on, on the goal production. Um, Adam Papadulia says, can this franchise stop living in the glory days of 40 years ago enough already? And that is also not a question, just a emphatic statement. And you, you know what? I, I, I will disagree a little bit. I, I, I don't think the franchise is living in the glory days of 40 years ago, um, but it, they are trying to reconnect, if you will, with that storied history, which is a big part of this franchise's legacy, if not the biggest part. You know, the, those glory days from really 75 through 84, 85, right in there, that, that 10, 11 years when the Islanders were consistently, you know, the best or one of the best teams in the NHL. It's good to reconnect. It's good to reconnect with the alumni. There were too many years where the alumni were shunned and there there was really no living in the past for this team. But there there should be a good balance. And I think both Butch and John Tonelli have made points that they're they're really excited uh, going forward because they see a very solid ownership in place. And, uh, you know, from my per point of view, having talked to both Scott Malkin and, and John Ledecky, you know, mostly off the record, just getting to know them as people, uh, the, these are guys, I, I mean, they're, they're fans like you and me, and they truly do, you know, love this team. I, I know they're businessmen and, and they want to make money. Uh, let's not, you know, sugarcoat that. This is a business and, and they're looking to make profits. But, you know, there there is a real sense of commitment to winning. And, uh, you know, for whatever you want to say about Lou Lamorello, and I know, you know, the needle goes you know, more, probably tilted more one way amongst the fans on Lou uh, than, you know, amongst us covering Lou. But, you know, Lou is, Lou is committed to winning as well. I mean, he's almost singularly focused as much as you want to believe on that. Um, and, and, and Barry Trotz has proven, you know, he's a winner too. So, you know, when Butch and John Tonelli uh, point out the similarities between Lou Lamarillo and Bill Torrey and uh, Al Arbor and Barry Trotz, I, I, I think that's, that, that's a positive. So, you know, I, I think there is a good way to reconnect this current franchise with the glory days of 40 years ago uh, to make it relevant and to make it, you know, an example for the current players to strive for. 
Um, and, and I think, I think a lot of that is being done by reconnecting with the alumni. Pete Lynch says, do you see Lou breaking this group up when they missed the playoffs? They refuse to give the effort to win. It's been a problem all year. Even the 17 game streak lacked a 60 minute effort most nights. And no, I, I don't see Lou breaking this group up mainly because a lot of them are, are, are signed long term. Uh, so it would be problematic to try and break him up. I mean, you got Varlamov three more seasons after this. Uh, you got Anders Lee six more seasons after this. You got Jordan uh, Eberle four more seasons after this. You got Brock Nelson five more seasons after this. You, you're going to have J.G. Peugeot starting a six-year extension. You know what? And, and you're looking to lock up Ryan Pulak and Devontae's and Matthew Barzell long-term as well. Um, and if you can get Ilya Sorokin over from Russia, you're looking to, to lock that kid up uh, long term as well. So, no, I, I really think this is your team. And then you're going to add parts um, to it, such as, as we've mentioned, Oliver Wallstrom, Simon Holmstrom, Kiefer Bellows, any combination of that in a best case scenario. Gil Wong says, it's put up or shut up time. When does the organization, meaning Trotz and Lou, play Bellows and send down Michael Dalcal? Also, time maybe to sit Komarov. Team defense is good, but seem to be struggling to get out of their own zone once teams put pressure on them. Uh, it is all the defenseman's fault. Um, no, it's not all the defenseman's fault. Uh, I, I do agree uh, breakouts out of the zone have been uh, problematic. I, I know Trotz and his coaching staff have spent practices, working on breakouts. It's not all on the defense. Everything is about the five-man unit and supporting and, and, and getting into, you know, space where you can support someone looking to make a breakout. So I wouldn't, uh, you know, yeah, there's some of the, some, there have been some passes from defensemen that have not cleared the zone, but I, I don't think you can just say it's the six defensemen who are failures at clearing the zone and absolve the forwards. Bellows, you know, obviously uh, is is back in Bridgeport, so uh, I, I don't know if they're going to make the switch with Dalcal, uh, as we've discussed, although, you know, Dalcal is not you know, lighting up the scoreboard. There's a lot in his game that, that Barry Trotz really does like uh, in terms of the, the wall, the corner play, uh, the moving the feet, the physicality, that, that type of stuff. And, and, and the hope is that, you know, the hard work turns into production. Uh, sitting Komarov, I, I think Leo's spot in, in the regular lineup is at risk once uh, Casey Sezikis does come back. Um, Let's see. Uh, Nooch says, why is this team so obsessed with making the perfect pass? Many times they've passed when they should have shot. I, I agree. I think Barry Trotz has agreed and, and, you know, he's talked about the team being too cute. Uh, I think this is what happens when you have more playmakers than finishers, as we've been talking about. I mean, I, I've seen way too many curl outs, no look backhand passes that get intercepted. And I'm not a big fan of, of, of that. I, I agree. You get the puck. You know, it's a simple game. You, you get the puck to the net, and then you try and bang in the rebound. And that's what you have Anders Lee out there for, is to bang in the rebound. Jordan Everly, who's good at, at, at playing around the net as well. So uh, uh, 
Domenico, uh, uh, Domenico, yeah, JJ says, do you think this team makes the playoffs? They sure are making it interesting right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they are. You know what? I, I, I've been saying all year they're going to make the playoffs. Um, uh, you know, I, I'm going to show some faith and and say at the end of this, yeah, they do make the playoffs. They, I, you know, I, I had pegged them at the beginning of the season for finishing second in the Metro, around 102, 103 points. They still can get, you know, to 100 or so points if they start playing a little bit more consistently. Um, but I don't think they get to second in the Metro anymore. And I, I don't even, you know, between the Flyers, Penguins, and Caps, those might be the top three teams in the Metropolitan Division at the end. Uh, they certainly are right now. So I, I, I think, you know, if the Islanders do get in, it's going to be as a wild card team. And then you're looking at playing one of the first place teams. So it, it's going to be a difficult road. But again, once you get in, you know, anything can happen. Get good goaltending, get some scoring, and make sure you score on the power play. So again, some areas for the Islanders to shore up. Uh, Sko says, has Beauvillier been playing? I haven't noticed. And he's got a sad face emoji. Um, uh, yeah, Bo, uh, uh, he has been playing. Uh, I'll leave it at that. Uh, Mike T says... As a 20-plus year season ticket holder, I ask why Isles ownership decided to bow to people who don't show up for games. Another season in a substandard facility they should have left permanently years ago. Failure to sell 13,000 seats on a regular basis speaks volumes about this fan base. That's more of a comment. As far as uh, bowing to people who don't show up for games, uh, again... You know, I, I don't know whether it's that or how much internal pressure there was uh, that, you know, to get out of Barclays if they could. Just, you know, as you heard Barry Trotz say yesterday when I asked him about the news that the Islanders were only going to play at the Coliseum, his, his response, his first thought was, well, this just makes us a normal team again. Uh, because it's not normal to play at two arenas. And you know what? I, I think, you know, if you're just going to play at one arena, I, I think getting out of Barclays is, is good. I know some fans do, you know, prefer Barclays uh, for the convenience of going there. Um, but, you know, as far as a hockey arena atmosphere, I, I think the Coliseum is better. And, uh, you know what, I, I, the, the one thing I will agree, Mike T, is, uh, you know, it, it is the, the fact that they cannot fill an arena that is under 14,000, um, you know, on a regular basis is, does, you know, say something to the size, I would think, of the Islander fan base. And, uh, you know, we've talked about this. They're moving to a 17,000-plus seat arena at Belmont Arena, and I think attendance there is going to have to be monitored and, and is going to be interesting. Um, Brian G says, what does Ajo need to get into the lineup for a few games, especially with a game against Ottawa approaching and Johnny Boychuk needing at least a one-game break? The guy needs a break badly. Well, uh, if Johnny B sits, it's going to be uh, Noah Dobson going in. Ajo at Bridgeport and... Uh, 
Johnny said, said uh, in his retirement speech, Butch alluded to the work the owners have been doing in building up the alumni. Do you have any insight into the things being done in this regard? Also, when does Ladd get a shot to play with Bowen Nelson? I recall he had some success with them. And I mentioned earlier that, that Ladd, you know, I, I think Ladd does get a game or a stretch of games at, at some point. Um, uh, I don't know if it would be with Bo and Nelson. I, I think Barry uh, would use Andrew Ladd more in a third-line role. Um, the the work that's been done in building up the alumni, um, you know, John Ledecky and Scott Malkin and, and, you know, and Lou Lamarillo, it's just the insight is it's all about making the effort and reaching out and making the alumni feel wanted. Um, and you know, it, it, it's John Ledecky taking, a, you know, a, a Butch Goring out or, a, you know, John Tonelli out to, to, to play around at golf. You know, it, it's, it's having lunch with those guys. It's, you know, asking them, you know, what can be done to, to, you know, to, to make those ties tighter. It, it's, it's basically making the alumni feel like they matter. Uh, which, which, as I mentioned before, they do matter. So, you know, uh, I don't have a transcript of the conversations. I just know, you know, uh, Mr. Malk and Mr. Ledecky and, and Lou Lamarillo have all uh, worked hard to, to reach out and, and to make those guys feel important. Um, Michael Klink uh, says, hey, Andrew, I love Ryan Pulak, and I was hoping he would have taken a bigger step this year with scoring more goals because of his slap shot, more minutes, and being on PP2. Is he living up to expectations here in your mind, or has it been disappointing? Um, and it's, a, it's a good question. Uh, personally, you no, know, I, I have not been disappointed in Ryan Pulak. I mean, is he have a, having a better season this season than last season? It's probably probably not. Um, and yeah, they, they need him... You know, the issue with him is I think if he gets more of those booming slap shots from the point on the net, uh, I think he scores more. Um, But as far as living up to expectations, listen, this guy is a top pair defenseman for the team. Um, He can play in both zones and he's and he's online to get a pretty decent deal out of the Islanders. So I, I wouldn't. You know, I, I would be happy as an Islander fan to have Ryan Pulak on the team and, and to have Ryan Pulak on the team for, for the foreseeable future. So I'm not ready to, I'm not saying he's a disappointment at all. Andre Minasian, I'm sorry, Andre. Um, everyone mentions about getting a top line winger, but the big problem is the lack of a de- dynamic defenseman. Almost all cup winners have won. Islanders should pursue Alex Petrangelo uh, from the Blues and trade Letty. His offense has fallen off a cliff, and you know there's a lot of uh, not about Letty, but your point about needing, you know, that dynamic defenseman. I think they were hoping, you know, Devontae's would would provide more of that. He's shown that, you know, in, in spurts uh, because he's such a good skater. And, you know, Nick Letty has also had some some rushes where, you know, you're kind of, your jaw drops because of his skating ability. I just think, it, like you said, it, it needs to be more uh, more consistent. This also ties back into the question about Ryan Pulak, who could, you know, add, add more scoring as well. So, um, you know, I don't, 
<laughs> I I don't see the Blues uh, trading Alex Petrangelo uh, or, or or the Islanders being able to uh, acquire Petrangelo. But you know, if you're looking at dynamic defensemen, that's certainly a, a wonderful name to to bring up. Um, let's see, uh, Andy Hicks. Do you think that this season and maybe next are just a process to get to a point where Wallstrom and Bellows are maybe ready and who are natural goal scorers, not forgetting elite prospects, Sorokin and Dobson? You can add those four uh, with more experience and it sort of trails off there. I don't know, you know, how long a process, but yeah, you're wanting Wallstrom and or Bellows uh, to, to crack the lineup and provide scoring. Uh Michael says, maybe I watch too much 12-year-old peewee hockey, and I may miss the nuances at the NHL level. Bellows looks like he belongs right now offensively. He should be playing. The point being that he doesn't look like he belongs right now defensively, and that is still very important to Barry Trotz and the uh, the coaching staff. Have another donut, says, now with the first-round pick in June out of the picture, I don't mind, which I don't mind with Pajot on board. What's the next possible move the Islanders can make to get to the next level? It's adding a score, uh, however you do it. If it's trading a defenseman to, to get a finisher, if it's uh, you know being able to sign a finisher, the, the next if it's Oliver Wallstrom or Kiefer Bellows growing into that role, it's getting a finisher. Uh, uh, up there, and and as Mike T also points out, uh, getting an elite goalie. Um, uh, hopefully Sorokin can be that. Um, and we'll finish with JC, who says, "Okay, Andrew, what is the malaise that we have seen for weeks? Did Lamarillo underestimate the energy that Leonard provided to the team? Are they tired? Have they already turned tuned out their coach? Will Barzell ever live up to his talent with wingers that can keep up with him? Uh, uh, starting from the end, Barzell." Um, yeah, Barzell is a playmaker who needs consistent finishers. Uh, I think we've, we've gone over that. Yeah. Um, and you know, uh, Jordan Eberle and Anders Lee had a a little stretch there where that top line was playing pretty good. Uh, you know, it kind of crashed in the four nothing loss to the Bruins, although they, they had some opportunities, but they had a, about a two, three game stretch where, you know, uh, Barry was relying on him heavily. Um, have they already tuned out the coach? Absolutely not. Uh, did Lamarillo underestimate the energy that Leonard provided to the team? Do not think it's that uh, at all. Um, are they tired? Yeah. Uh, I mean, are they tired? No, they're, they're very well-conditioned athletes, and Barry Trotz has been very judicious in giving them days off. So on game days, you know, they should have legs. But the overall grind of the season is a grind. And, uh, you know, there have been games where their energy has just not been as turned up as high as it needed to be. Um, and, and that is a problem, as you point out. Um, as far as a malaise, uh, you know, I guess it's really, you know, they were 15 and 2 and that takes them through Thanksgiving, and, you know, they were kind of good right around the New Year's, um, and it's been really up and down and inconsistent, if you want to say, you know, since the calendar turned, maybe. Um, And I just think it's that the Islanders got to a level, and they've been at that level, and the other teams got to that level and got better. 
um, and the Islanders uh, to to make the playoffs, they do need to be a better team uh, over the these final uh, few weeks of the season here. But that that would be it. My thanks again to Neil Best for spending the time with me. You can find Neil on Twitter at SportsWatch as he covers sports media and uh, hockey and uh, whatever else Neil feels like covering. Uh, he kind of does it all. Neil, always a pleasure having him on the show and chatting with him. And thanks again to Butch Goring for spending some time. And congratulations to Butch. And uh, I'm your host, Andrew Gross. Thank you for tuning in with each week. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at agrossnewsday. Um, Island Ice is available on the Newsday website, newsday.com backslash sports. Uh, there's an Islanders homepage. You can find every episode of Island Ice. You can find every story that I or someone else at the paper writes about the Islanders. So please uh, catch up um, if you haven't. And uh, Island Ice is also available uh, wherever fine podcasts are available. Uh, you know where those are. Please subscribe. Please leave a comment. Please let us know what you're thinking. And we'll be back again Uh, next week with another episode. And until then, folks, happy hockey.